Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and welcome to this episode of La Liga Lowdown, also broadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. I'm your host, Jim McTeer. We've got a packed episode as we look back at a thrilling weekend of action. A weekend that culminated in the Seville Derby. This fixture is absolutely brilliant. So brilliant that we made an entire podcast about it. That came out last week and is available by flicking back through the La Liga Lowdown episode list. We heard from journalists and fans about what makes that game so good and it'll be the Sevilla fans who are happier this week. While Betis fans, well, they'll be completely miserable until they meet again. That's because Luc Dion ruined Betis' day, their weekend, their month, even their entire winter by scoring the winner. It was Lucas Ocampos who put them ahead. Lauren Moran equalised for Betis with his 8th goal of the season, but then De Jong struck the killer blow for Sevilla. Here's how it sounded in the Sevilla dressing room afterwards. Absolute passion, absolute drama, the absolute derby. Now, let's go back to the beginning of the weekend and discuss Real Sofidad versus Leganes. This was the first match for new Lega coach Javier Aguirre. Sam Leverage was paying close attention to this one for us as they drew 1-1. Sam, how did it go in the first match for the new coach? Yeah, so Luis Zambranos came in as the caretaker manager and they had that initial win, but then after that it kind of petered out, obviously, with the defeat to Ibar. And then Javier Aguirre came in this week and gave a very passionate press conference and and then going to San Sebastián probably wasn't the first fixture he would have wanted, but Leganes did quite well. They were quite solid defensively. They they held out against Real Sociedad and, and they definitely made things difficult for them. And it was particularly interesting, their reaction to going 1-0 down in a few games this season. We've seen Leganes concede the first goal and then just kind of collapse from there. But that wasn't the case at all. I mean, there was a year there on the touchline. He made some changes at half-time. He wasn't afraid to mix things up. He brought on his substitutes, players like Nezreidi, who he'd left on the bench, but then he clearly recognised his error and brought him on at, at half-time and, and Leganes reacted and they did get that equaliser in the end and and it was a strong performance from then, the kind of performance that they're going to need if they are going to stay up this season. They'll need to pick up a few points on the road like they did there at the Real Arena and, and that's not easy to do. So definitely a very valuable point and Aguirre can definitely feel optimistic after his debut. Aguirre used a back three. I kind of expected him to move away from Pellegrino's tactics. Can you talk us through his tactical system? I was surprised as well. So it was quite a strange decision, really. Aguirre hasn't ever really played with a a back three or a back five, however you want to look at it, any of his past clubs. So it was a surprise to see him stick with that formation, although it was the one that Pellegrino used, it was the one that Tembranos used. 
And so you can see why they did it. And it was definitely a different kind of setup in under the last two coaches. It's definitely been a more of a back five with the two fullbacks not being particularly adventurous going forwards. But but with Aguilar, they were a lot more offensive, and, and the midfield was a lot more offensive, looking to support Martin Braithwaite in attack. So although on paper it looked similar in terms of the shape and the the formation it was definitely a different approach there was a lot more pressing high up the pitch and and Aguirre definitely had changed a few subtle tweaks maybe a matter of time and he's only been in there a few days in training so not changing too much too soon but I'd expect that we might see some changes there you've also got to remember the the players he's got available to him in his squad and they're definitely set up to have plenty of defenders out there so be interested to see how he adapts that How confident are you Sam of Lega staying up it won't be easy for Leganes. They, they've always been kind of down at the bottom fighting for survival and this year everybody kind of expected them to do a bit better but their start to the season has been so bad and they're quite a few points adrift of safety already. So Aguilar's got his work cut out but he was in a similar position at Real Saragossa and at Espanyol and in both cases he came in around this time of the season and he got them up in and got them climbing up the table and in the end they did survive. So I think with Aguirre it's kind of a, a wild card appointment, perhaps not many people expected it, but it's, it's certainly a good one. If there's one coach who can really get Leganes back on track, then he's a very good candidate to do that. So we'll see. There were definitely improvements and signs for optimism in, in San Sebastián on Friday night, but there's plenty of work left to do, especially at home where Butaki really needs to become a fortress for Leganes again if they are going to achieve the impossible and stay up. Thanks, Sam. Now let's turn our attention to the league leaders, Barcelona and Real Madrid. They both have 25 points after they both won and both scored four goals on Saturday. Let's start with Real Madrid. They went to Ibar and absolutely destroyed the team that defeated them 3-0 in this fixture last season. This year it was Ibar 0, Real Madrid 4. Real Madrid fan and journalist Christopher McCormick joins us now. Christopher, what do you put Real Madrid's recent run of good form down to that's 10 goals in three days i think it comes down to respect in the past real madrid have dropped points at places like ebar because they didn't bring their a game and have been punished for it zidane has always had a mantra that if his side is willing to match their opponent's intensity and work rate their superior quality will win out and i think the squad has bought into that mindset more and more as of late who was a standout performer in your view Eden Hazard was probably the standout performer from the Ebar game. His first half was the best half he's played at Real Madrid so far. Uh, I'd also like to give a shout out to Luka Modric. He, he looked sharp and fresh for the first time in a long time and proved what a dangerous weapon he can be when he's well rested. Courtois now has five clean sheets in a row. Is this down to him or is it an improvement in the defence? It's more of an improvement from the players in front of him rather than anything Courtois has done. Since the PSG loss, the entire back line has taken a step up. Casemiro's having his best season at Real Madrid yet, and Fede Valverde's work rate adds an extra defensive layer to Madrid. We've also played some really bad teams offensively, meaning Courtois hasn't had a lot to do. Thank you, Christopher. Now we shift to Barcelona and speak to Roman de Arcaire about their 4-1 win over Celta Vigo, where Messi just turned it on and scored another couple of free kicks. Roman, we spoke about Messi being back, well and truly back, last week. I know it's kind of boring to talk about how good Messi is, but how good is Messi? 
Ewan, you have to stop asking me about Messi because I honestly don't know what else we can say about him. I mean, I think we've used all the adjectives there are in the dictionary. Um, he's just so good. And once again, he was crucial and he led Barca past uh, Celta de Vigo, who were really good at the beginning. But as soon as Messi got his um, foot on the ball, scored the first penalty, and then those two fantastic free kicks, the game was basically over for the visitors. So it's it's Messi. You can see he, he, he was... Very intense in this game. It's not just about the scoring the goals, but he was also recovering balls. He, he's running and trying to get even more goals to help the team recover its uh, maybe anemic state. And I mean, he's leading the team. He's being the captain. But you don't get the feeling that other players are following him there yet. They should be at the level Messi is delivering. Not in terms of football, obviously, but in terms of intensity and wanting to win competitions and games. So yeah, I mean, right now Messi is Barcelona. Is there still a sense of crisis around Barcelona? They won at home against Celta Vigo, but that doesn't make people forget the previous seven days, does it? No, I mean, nobody's forgotten that yet. There's still that sense of crisis you mentioned. I mean, especially after losing 3-1 against Levante recently, and then that 0-0 draw against Slavia de Praga in the Champions League, where Barca were very, very, very poor, even at home. Because we've been talking about how bad they've been away, but doing the same in the Camino isn't good at all. And of course, the game against Celta de Vigo wasn't great. It was depending on Messi. Once again, his three goals changed things. It looks like Valverde will be without Jordi Alba, without Sergio Roberto and without Nelson Semedo for the next game against Leganes after the international break. That's due to injuries and suspension. What's he going to do at fullback? Well, he's going to do the only thing he can do at the moment, which is uh, play with the two fullbacks he has left. Junior Firpo on the left side and... Uh, Musa Wage on the right side. We haven't seen too much of him uh, this season, but in preseason he did play quite a bit. And he looks like a pretty decent right back, so she, he should be good enough to at least um, help out for the game against Leganes. And after that, I guess we'll have Sergio Roberto back from suspension and he'll be able to play on that right wing. Unless Musa Wage surprises us and does a really good job there and stays uh, playing on there for a while. But we'll see, because Valverde usually uh, likes to go for Sergio Roberto when he has the chance to. How did Celta Vigo look in their first match with their new coach Oscar Garcia and what do you expect from them under him? Until Barcelona scored the first goal we saw a very interesting Celta de Vigo, very offensive, pressing really high to recover the ball and trying to have possession. So that's kind of what we're going to get from Oscar Garcia I think because his philosophy in the end is quite similar to Barca's. He's kind of um, learned from Barca's youth system. And he likes those kind of ideas of having the ball, of being aggressive, of scoring lots of goals, attacking football. So that's what we're going to see possibly. And also it was very interesting to see how he gave minutes to players which haven't been playing too often this season with Escriba, such as Pione Sista, for example. So he's trying to recover their confidence. And now during the national break, he's going to have some time to implement those ideas, to teach their players the new formation and the new way. So it's going to be a good opportunity for him uh, to come back even stronger from this break. Thanks, Roman. That's all we've got time for in part one. There's still a lot more Spanish football to sink our teeth into in part two, which is coming up right after this short break. back to this La Liga lowdown match day 13 recap. We've spoken about the leaders Barcelona and Real Madrid and just behind them are Atletico Madrid. Just one point back 
though it's true that they have played a game more. They had to come from behind to win this weekend as Sergi Darder put Espanyol 1-0 up at the Wanda Metropolitano, but goals from Angel Correa, who's been great these past few weeks, from Alvaro Morata and from Koki steered Atletico to a 3-1 victory. After three away games in a row, none of which they won, it was home sweet home for Atleti. Another team who came from behind to win at home was Athletic Club. Dan Parry was there at San Mames as they won 2-1. Dan, can you talk a bit about Athletic's comeback ability? They don't come from behind to win very often, do they? Yeah, the truth is Athletic don't tend to be a team that come from behind to win too often because they don't tend to score that many goals. So typically when they go behind, they really struggle to, to come back from that. They tend to be a team that prefer to go up and then, and then sort of defend their lead. Another goal for Iker Munyain. How good has he been this season? Is he well and truly back? Munyain probably is having one of the best seasons of his career. Maybe the best season he's had since uh, since Bielsa, at least. I think this comes in part to do with the fact that he's changed position slightly. There was a bit of a problem before because he kind of got shunted out to the left because they wanted Garcia to play in that attacking central midfield role. But Gaditano has decided that Munayin's better off in that position and for the past two or three games he's pushed Garcia further forward and Munayin's been able to control the attacking play from, from that attacking midfield position. Ander Kappa got the winning goal, great goal it really was. I love him, how good has he been in general since he joined Athletic Club from Ibar? Ander Kappa is great, the thing you notice about Ander Kappa is he just never stops trying. Every time he gets the ball he goes forward. Uh, he's really loved by the fans because you can see the the work effort, the work ethic, and the effort that he puts into every game. And it wasn't easy for him to get in the team because he had to displace Oscar De Marcos. And Oscar De, Mar- Oscar De Marcos has been in the side for almost a decade now. Uh, but he's doing great. Another assist for him this season, and you can you could see when he scored the goal how much the fans loved it. I tore the Levante goalkeeper was able to play in the end, but he almost wasn't able to because of the election. Can you explain that situation to us? Yeah, it was a bit of a funny situation. So basically, Aitor Fernandez is from a, from a place called Montragon, which is sort of between Bilbao and uh, San Sebastian. But he actually came from the cantera of Athletic and he got released when he was a youngster and went to Numancia. And then I think after Numancia, he ended up at Levante. Anyway, he got selected for uh, Mesa duty. Mesa duty basically means that you have to be one of the people who goes to one of the polling stations and you help count the votes and you help people vote. Um, I think at first you're allowed to appeal against it if you have mitigating circumstances and he appealed against it and it got, it got rejected. But then this whole entire thing became a bit of an international story. And then on the second application, it got overturned and he was allowed to play the match. Um, and he almost ended up becoming the story of the game because, to be honest, for the f- Athletic, probably should have been at least two or three goals up by half time. And he had a great game. He had played really, really well. And you could see as well that he loved being back at Chamamez. I noticed at half time that he was going up to some of the fans behind the goal and shaking their hands and talking to them. So it was a great occasion for him. Thanks, Dan. One of the stranger stories of the week, that one. And the game that started off election Sunday in Spain this weekend was on the island of Mallorca. Real Mallorca took on and defeated Villarreal 3-1 with Japanese teenager Takifuza Kubo scoring his first La Liga goal. (laughs) 
Alex Fitzpatrick was there and he joins us now. We have to start off with Kubel. His first goal, how good was he? His all-round play actually wasn't all that and he was substituted off a few minutes after scoring the goal. In the first 10 minutes, I actually wrote down on my notes um, from where I was watching the game that I don't think I'd seen a player have a worst first worst first 10 minutes of the game. He gave the ball away on numerous occasions. His passes were going astray. He was trying little flicks and things that weren't really coming off. But let's be really clear, he's absolutely a player with real, real quality on the ball. He showed that in the key moments. And that's a little bit what this Mallorca side is lacking at times. And we're hoping that he can bring that as the season goes on. The key moments in the final third particularly, he's got that sparkling of quality, which sets him aside from a lot of the other players within the squad. He's... A fantastic player. And those are the moments that win your games. And that's what Real Mallorca are a little bit lacking. Um, so in that sense, he was fantastic. His all-round play, not as good as it could be. But he's 18 years old. We have to remember that. We can't expect games of perfection and for him to dominate games left, right and centre. But what he is bringing is a little bit of magic in the key moments. How has Kubel been settling in in general? He's settling in really, really well at the club. It's taken him a long time to force his way into the starting lineup. And I still wouldn't say that his place is safe. In terms of how he's settling, though, what a professional this lad is. He's 18 years old and he's got the head of a, of a seasoned professional. Um, he's fantastic with the squad. He spends time with the cues and cues and of fans who are waiting for autographs and photos he, he spends that time obviously we know he's he's a fluent spanish speaker so that obviously helps him uh in terms of how he gets on with the squad he, with his interviews he speaks really well with the media confidently calmly professionally so he's settling in really really well and the impact that he's having for a lad so young is is above and beyond his years really this was a big win for Real Mallorca. Can you talk about their home and away form and the difference in it? Yeah, the difference between that home and away form, it's its not something that's a surprise. It was there last season. Only four wins away from home last season. Two of those were against sides relegated to the Segunda B. And we kind of expected more of the same because there's not been a huge difference in how the side has set up this season in comparison. And, and my perspective on it is is that you know if you do keep doing the same things you're going to keep getting the same results and that really has been the case I asked centre forward Ante Budimir about it in the post-match interview after the game and he he kind of thought that the biggest difference between the two was actually how the team plays in terms of mentality and how aggressive they are uh, he kind of felt that the players are less aggressive when they play away from home and they stand off and they keep a shape rather than pressing a little bit more, trying to get forwards, uh, getting up and joining him in attack as well. And um, I, I think the big difference there, as you can see, there's only been two goals away from home all season. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're not joining the centre forward, then it's very isolated and it's quite easy to defend. So that is a big, big difference. 
Another two penalties. I've asked you before about goals from open play and the lack of them at Real Mallorca. You said you weren't worried. Worried now. You asked me about this after the Osasuna game and my opinion hasn't changed hugely. I'd say where I am concerned about goals from open play is away from home two in, in uh, away from home in the league this season um, plenty of goals at Son Mosh so we've had five in the last two games uh, six in the last three games so yes I appreciate that maybe going forward it is a bit of a concern but to get those penalty awards you have to be getting into good positions and Mallorca are still doing that I think it would be a valid criticism to say that they're probably not as clinical as they should be but they are getting into great positions on the counter-attack and that is what is leading to the award of the penalties so from that perspective I'd like more goals from open play but at the moment it's not causing an issue where goals is an issue for Real Mallorca absolutely is away from home yeah I largely agree with you there Alex but it does concern me a little to see Real Mallorca score so little from open play. It really does. But speaking of a lack of goals, there were no goals at all in Itafi versus Osasuna as these two teams shared the spoils on Sunday. They both remain firmly in mid-table, about as mid-table as you can be. Now, let's talk about Alaves versus Real Valladolid, another game with a penalty in it. There were seven penalties in total in La Liga this weekend, and one of them was for Lucas Perez to round off a 3-0 Alaves win. They absolutely destroyed Real Valladolid, went into a 2-0 lead at halftime thanks to Jocelyn and Thomas Pina. Perez's penalty capped it off, and it means Alaves have the fifth best home record in the division now. Nobody wants to visit them. Meanwhile, nobody really wanted to play Granada given their bright start of the season, but Valencia had to do that this weekend and they passed the test, winning 2-0. The goals were for Daniel Vaz and Ferran Torres, yet Danny Parejo was the star man. Let's speak to Paco Pollock now and ask why Parejo isn't in the Spain squad. That's baffling to me. He should be in the squad, right Paco? He absolutely should be, but at the same time, I believe Valencia fans should be pretty happy that he isn't. You see, at the end of the day, we're talking about a 30-year-old who played around 50 games last season as a starter, and he's already played every single game this season to date except one. So maybe being able to rest the next 15 days is excellent news for Valencia. However, I truly think Robert Moreno is missing on one of the best midfielders in Spain, if not the best nowadays, just because the national team coach really wants a generational relay taking place within the team. Parejo could have really helped quite a lot back in the day against Norway and Sweden in my view, but again, these two upcoming games aren't really that relevant once Spain are already qualified for the 2020 Euro. Valencia have had a very good week. Is Albert Solades and his project starting to work? Three games, three wins is the best possible outcome of a very demanding week for the lads. But rather than talking about Celades' project, I have to highlight the two most crucial points currently. The first one, the enormous amount of players coming off injured, with nine footballers suffering from physical problems. And the second one, just how ridiculously competent and motivated the squad are being after 
all of the drama behind the scenes with Marcelino and CEO Matteo Alemán being both kicked out of the club by the management. Celades has been smart to date, not messing too much with a proven lineup, but the real gem here is the way the squad have rallied behind each other to make the most of an uncomfortable environment and are right now the biggest beacon of hope for Valencia's fan base. They are literally holding the club together with their professionalism and most of all with their wins. Ferran Torres scored in general. How has he played in the last few weeks when he's had quite a lot of minutes? You know, I have always supported this kid because I have known his career for quite a while and because I truly see he has the potential to be as big as Vicente Rodriguez was back in the day. He scored twice this week, this time with a beautiful finish with his left foot and closing a game which was becoming very tricky for his team as Granada kept pressing almost till the final whistle. Ferran Torres is possibly one of the top three informed players for Valencia right now, right next to Parejo and also Gabriel Pagulista, and I am super happy for him. His development under Marcelino took a lot of patience, especially as many fans wanted his growth to be much quicker and much sooner, but the payoff is being magnificent for the team. He's a true baller in the wing, he's already been called with the under-21 national team, and in my view, again, this is just my opinion, if Ferran Torres keeps growing at this rate, I wouldn't consider out of the cards the possibility of him being called with the Spanish first team in the next few months. Paco, you saw Granada away at Villarreal in the first weekend of the season. You've now seen them in the most recent round. How have they changed over these 13 weeks? Has there been an evolution, do you think? I think two things have changed. The first one, they have improved their defense in relation to that opening 4-4 game against Villarreal and it really shows. They are much better defending and don't favor that kamikaze playstyle of the first few match days. And the second one might be a bit of a problem for them. Opposite teams have finally been able to unlock Granada's tactical secrets and it's becoming increasingly difficult for Diego Martinez to surprise other teams. Relatively unknown players are already well known. Other teams are learning how to stop Badillo, Soldado, Antonio Puertas and the rest of the squad. So I think the break will be good for Granada in order to find new ideas and keep their fantastic run to date. Okay, thank you Paco, and thanks to all of this week's contributors, to Sam Leverage, to Christopher McCormack, to Roman de Arcare, to Dan Parry, to Alex Fitzpatrick, and of course, to Paco Pollitt. I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and thank you very much for listening. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. $15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.